Hi there, and welcome to Vet Chat, a new podcast for the veterinary profession brought to you by the Webinar Vet. We're going to discuss all things from clinical cases to hot topical debates. I'm your host, Ben Sweeney, and for the first time in my life over the episodes ahead of us, I'm aiming to listen more than I talk, and I can't wait for you to join me for the adventure. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Vet Chat. Today, I am joined by the glorious Liz Barton, who I am able to count amongst my friends, who I am on the board of Spivs with, who has got a whole range of interests across the whole profession and outside of the profession. So Liz joins us as the editor of Veterinary Woman. She joins us as the co-founder of Vet Mums and the WellVet movement, and as someone who has had a real positive impact on bringing to the fore the plight of women in the veterinary profession in the modern age. So Liz also, as a little bit of a fun fact, comes as a distant relative of Samuel Mudd. Now, those of you who are up to date on all of your history will know that Samuel Mudd uh, was responsible for offering the last efforts at treating John. John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated Abraham Lincoln way back in the 19th century. As you can see, my history is not strong. Fortunately, Liz has a much better success rate at treating her patients uh, on the basis that Mr. Wilkes Booth did not survive his little endeavours. Liz, it's boss to chat to you. It's kind of weird to do it in a formal capacity rather than just on the blower to each other. It's great to have you with you. And obviously, you're with us in your sort of capacity as, as a veterinary woman and also a as a vet mum so I think first and foremost most important question what is harder being a vet or being a mum that's a tricky one there'd be a different answer for everybody my personal answer is that at times being a mum has been harder I would say the nine months of pregnancy were pretty flipping awful (laughs) for me (laughs) and then the following year of sleep deprivation and sort of groundhog day of of, yeah pretty banal menial tasks you know is is um is really tricky and challenging similarly you know having a bad day at the clinic is incredibly challenging as well I would say you know the rewards for both can be enormous and you know on a good day where you've done some pretty awesome surgery and you've got your diagnoses right and you've got the thank you letters from the owners you know that's fantastic but you know again on the on the flip side when your kids give you a big hug that can make up for everything so yeah it, it goes through through phases I would say the one that I was expecting to be a bit easier was parenthood so probably the one that that came as the biggest kind of tidal wave of of shock really was, uh, was becoming a mum so yeah I think it's the one that's harder to prepare for and harder to anticipate the impact on your life so yeah yeah I think I mean obviously you know you know that we, we've got a four-month-old little boy at home and I think shock is absolutely the, the right word for, for that process of sort of <laughs> delving into parenthood and I remember kind of going into it thinking oh yeah it sounds you know I've done night shifts this is you know this is going to be all right you know we're uh, you know my wife's a, a doctor she's done nights you think you know if anybody in society is going to be geared up for this that's us and oh my god it hits you like a train but uh, <laughs> but yeah and I think you know obviously you know as parents and, and as veterinary professionals there are a lot of expectations and a lot of pressures on us to to succeed and and you know do you see those two things sort of coexisting are there similar challenges in being a vet and being a parent I think the perfectionism one is huge so you know you want to be the best mom and you know bring your kids up in the best way and you know 
sleep train them and sort of make sure everything you do is evidence-based etc but when your brain has gone to mush and you're sleep deprived that's really hard so you know those perfectionist tendencies that sort of drive us sometimes to you know work too long hours and and you know really sort of flog ourselves in practice can can be the same sort of driver yeah absolutely and I think you know that is that perfectionism is something that is penetrating through so many different aspects of community indeed we did one of our other podcast episodes with with Katie Ford about imposter syndrome and perfectionism being such a big component of that particular issue it's interesting with imposter syndrome as well because you know you kind of every now and again you sort of go blimey that you know I'm responsible for these these are my children like the buck stops here like I am a mum and yeah you can have a bit of imposter syndrome about that as well like a hundred percent and of course the difference is like you know you finish vet school and you kind of know you're ready to be a vet because you know you've passed your exams you've got your degree you've got the certificate and I still remember walking out of the maternity ward at the hospital and like they just wave to you yeah and you sort of sat there going hang on I'm walking out of a hospital with a kid here like you know I can just about be trusted with my dog but the yeah. Fact that, like you just let me there's no exam there's no test for it like you know it's a proper challenge I mean, I think we need a PDP phase for parenthood <laughs> because, you know, PDP didn't exist. In fact, I was on the pilot trial back in 2004 when I graduated. And, you know, I can remember thinking I've been sort of had my hand held and had all this really good preparation. And now all of a sudden, here I go. And, you know, I, I did have a supportive practice. But even so, you know, here's a sharp blade and a load of drugs. Off you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. The, the, the yeah, PDP, um, the parent development phase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what I found astonishing really with parenthood was as you described but you know for me the lead up to having my firstborn was I was overwhelmed with information you know I had pregnancy books I had NCT groups and midwife appointments etc and I knew what was happening to my body and my baby every single day and then you know you kind of walked out and there was just this information void you go and find you know looking for information but you're not really in the sort of mental capacity to be able to you know critically appraise which is the best evidence-based resource and what you need on what day and what order to kind of get through and uh, you know my it, it all sort of started off with writing a series of articles for vet times called mum's the word which literally took people from you know trying to conceive in practice through to when their kids leave you know school and university and took them through all the phases of parenthood with a sort of shared um, experiences of women throughout the profession because there is no manual for afterwards and you know, I remember kind of going, well, I'm, I'm starting back at work, but, you know, I need to express milk. Like, what, what do you do? You know, and just kind of disappearing off into some cloakroom, you know, kind of sheepishly pumping away during my, you know, limited lunch break so that I my breasts didn't burst. <laughs> you know, it's just no one tells you this stuff. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have to say, fortunately, that's not a situation I've found myself in um, over the last four months. But, you know, I have gained a few little dad pounds. So rather than having dads, I do now have kind of man boobs. But uh, I think that's about as close as I will ever get to being in that situation. But Yeah, and, you know, but the the, the kind of just surprise of, of, um, of, you know, lactating actually being quite difficult at work you know quite Mm. painful quite restrictive and having to manage that without any without with it being such a taboo subject that 
you know, I didn't know anyone who'd said anything about it ever. People just got on with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for the men in practice, they don't understand unless we actually open the conversations and say, you know, actually, this stuff needs to be taken into account. And if you want us to, to work to our best, we have to be able to, you know, facilitate things like breastfeeding in the workplace. So, yeah, it's uh, important conversations that just weren't happening, which is why I sort of started opening those conversations, really. Yeah. And I think, obviously, we touched on one of the problems there. But what, what do you feel is like you know the the biggest challenge for not necessarily just mums but 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 women in the profession right now i mean it's definitely juggling demands of home versus demands of career so whether that be professional development as a you know referral specialist i think a lot of women certainly feel that once they've had a family that door is closed to them mm. and i think to have accessibility to women in the profession of of all ages and stages they really we need to look at alternative residency models, part-time residencies, etc. You know, I, I think that's a conversation that really needs to open up. Yeah. And the other thing is sort of development into leadership roles within the profession, be that within the organisations and professional bodies or within practices and practice groups, facilitating that around being largely the primary carer either for parents or, or our own children, and also largely being responsible for, you know, the unpaid labour within the, the home, etc. You know, there's a lot of figures around the amount of unpaid labour that women do compared to men, you know, both at home and in the wider society, as, as well as, you know, for their own families. So, yeah, just, just enabling those women to kind of go into leadership positions and, and how we facilitate that. Yeah, and I think, you know, you only have to look at people's involvement in the profession and some of the, you know, the high stakes roles and, and, and organizations that have been built up with women at the helm um you know you look at the likes of vet partners with joe malone as the ceo there you look at vet help direct with susie samuel who is one of my other guests on the podcast who's you know she's really built and structured a, a revolutionary uh, organization there and you think you know there are women who are very much at the forefront and and you know to a large extent i dare say rightly so because we are a, a population as a profession who are around 80 percent female and obviously you know you do need that that I, I dare say you know in this current political climate a proportional representation potentially and i think you know you know great having daniela as bva president at the minute so you know there are these roles that are being filled by women but of course in order to to move the profession forward there do need to be not just roles filled but positive changes and you know what what have you kind of seen in in recent years as as you know the major positive moves i mean opening up the conversation for a start you know i think is massive obviously the work that bva did on on the gender bias that is present within the profession I think has been quite sensible in terms of saying look there is gender bias there not not just regarding pay gap but also regarding promotion of women as leaders and as uh, role models and people to look up to that was part of the work they did in that you know exactly the same male persona was actually thought to be more of a leader and somebody that um, that you could kind of rely and trust on um to refer others to over and above the female you know when they had sort of identical personas so so i think that's important sort of acknowledging that actually we don't give women as much credit as we do men in terms of you know actual sort of steps that have been taken you know there is increased awareness that flexibility is is important and i know quite a lot of mums posting that actually practices have been 
been really willing to look at flexible working and, and fit them in for the hours they can make. So, you know, there are quite a few mums doing kind of between school hour roles, which just helps with the caseload and, you know, surgical and consulting caseloads. So it can yeah. work, for, work for both. Things like, you know, increasing maternity pay. I know CVS have recently increased the amount of parental pay they're giving. That's a, a step in the right direction. Again, it's just kind of the, the start of the conversation. How do we increase the availability of those sorts of initiatives? So, yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of conversation happening. I would say, you know, there's a lot more to be done, but, but the early steps are there and the, we're getting more evidence that, you know, these are things that do need addressing. And I, su- I suppose one way and, and something that, you know, I dare say plays on a lot of the, the other gents in the profession is, you know, we look at the various different arguments of the, you know, women in the profession and men in the profession and, you know, independent versus corporate and so on and so forth. But does there become a point where we actually just go, you know, the people in the profession and, you know, should these things be just about the profession rather than the fact that you're a woman or the fact that you're a man in that profession? Does that make sense? That would be great, but that assumes there's no unconscious bias, yeah, um, which there is. And it also assumes that men and women are shouldering equal responsibility of the unpaid work at home, etc., which largely is not the case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'd be great if we could get to that stage but I don't um you know I think it'll take a lot of work to get there absolutely and and obviously you know there's so many different opportunities for people across the profession and you know whether they choose to have a family whether they don't choose to have a family or or whether they you know are, are in a position where they're unfortunately unable to have a family but you know what kind of what bits of advice would you potentially give to people who are maybe planning to have that possibility in future as to you know steps that they can take perhaps early in their career or you know whatever stage they're at to 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 have a positive influence on how they then you know face parenthood and and family life as a vet or indeed a vet nurse you know family planning is great you know if you sort of say well I want to get my certificate done first or my study done first become a partner in a practice before I you know consider having a family obviously that quite often goes out of the window in terms of things happen (laughs) unexpectedly or don't happen at all but I think informing themselves so if they sort of you know if they've always wanted to be a practice owner then talk to other people who are practice owners and parents and say you know what are the learnings that that you can give me what would you have done differently we're doing quite a lot of role model questionnaires for women in leadership positions and I want to get more on women actually within practice on veterinary women to basically look at their learnings what they did with their careers what they wish they'd done differently looking back etc and so I think informing themselves is the number one and then the number two is by all means have a plan but also you know constantly revisit that plan is this still what I want are these still my passions be honest with yourself be open with yourself take the time to say to to reassess and to really think if that's still right for you and your family and also you know particularly once family come along be, be prepared for the unexpected you know we don't know how parenthood is going to affect us and I know a lot of women who sort of said oh you know I was going to go back after you know a month and get stuck in again but actually I've stayed at home for two years and I absolutely love just being you know at home with the kids so obviously there's a lot of stuff around financials as well so just kind of you know having a bit of a financial plan in place so you know realistically how much time you can take off etc but then also looking at ways of well actually if I really don't want to go back at that time what can I do to sort of you know stay at home a bit longer with the the kids because you know that that is time you never get back so yeah and obviously you know in that you touch on that greatly there really obviously as vets and as vet nurses our skill set is massive and and you know not just 
applicable to, to clinical work. And obviously your journey is one of a very clear um, guideline that, you know, you can use those skills to open other avenues. But so obviously, Liz, you know, you've, you're doing great things in this sort of sphere of, of being a, a veterinary woman. Um, but as, as a vet, what kind of, you know, what skills and what sort of opportunities has that previous background purely in clinical practice given you um to you know a- enable you to facilitate being a vet but also doing other things in order to support a family life yeah so i think you know as vets we quite often we've, we've spent our whole lives kind of head down slightly blinkered just getting through vet school and and you know the first few years of clinical practice but you know we sort of forget sometimes we can shoehorn ourselves into that as our as our main role but actually taking a step back and thinking well what what else am I interested in you know what other things um, am I passionate about and then not being afraid to say well I'll, I'll give it a go because I think you know our training is great for helping us to be analytical to look at evidence bases to summarize them to problem solve to you know get on well with people yeah. um, good people skills and yeah, all of those are, are applicable to so many other areas. And I would say don't don't limit yourself. Um, you know, if there's something that you're passionate about, passionate about wanting to try, don't think, oh, well, because I'm a clinical vet, I can't do that. Just think, well, what's the skill set that is needed for that? And quite often you'll find that skills you use every day in practice match up with those quite well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we do have an incredibly broad skill set, everything from, you know, hand-eye coordination <laughs> through to <laughs> being able to analyse complex scientific, you know, theories. So, you know, all of those are, are incredibly valuable and applicable to a lot of other areas yeah and obviously you know one of the skills that you've got and and i dare say you know are um very skilled with is is this sort of massive empathy that you've got an ability to support other members of the profession um and obviously you know you're you're a co-founder of vet mums and vet mums especially you know i consider myself privileged as a one of very few male members of the group um, who've been invited in uh, from that side of things and it's, it's one of them environments that has been quite regularly referred to as um you know a really supportive online veterinary facebook community and obviously there's a whole plethora of different facebook groups around uh, at the moment some of which have better reputations than others but you know what sort of what bits of ideas can you possibly suggest to to people who are looking at you know developing a group and an initiative um to be able to sort of you know harbor this harmonious atmosphere that you seem to have, have developed as a community there i think the key to that is just allowing vulnerability so i think what people like about vet moms is they can come on and be vulnerable and not receive any form of judgment because you know when you are sleep deprived you can barely get yourself dressed by the end of the day you know you're covered in baby sick there are stinky nappies everywhere you've run out of clean washing and you're a highly trained professional you know you feel very vulnerable however you know that everybody on that group has been in that same position and that is tremendously leveling and carries with it a huge degree of empathy and I think there's been a lot of talk recently with a recently published sort of joint statement about hashtag be kind on social media etc there's a lot of talk about how we need to be more kind to each other. And I think what never happens and what we don't allow to happen on vet mums is kind of personal attack um, of any form, just making it about the individual and where there are differences of opinion. I mean, there's huge, there's some incredibly vehement opinions around, for example, breastfeeding. Yeah. Um, 
And as soon as those conversations start to focus on, well, I'm right and you're wrong, we, we just stop that. You know, it's not about right and wrong. It's about empathy, understanding and support. I think, you know, Vet Moms is a kind of privileged group in that because everybody gets it, that, you know, we've all been in that, that situation, that it's, uh, you know, it, it sort of naturally lends itself to that. I think people come at it with that in mind. So I would guess, you know, advice to other groups would just be to just maintain that awareness and acknowledgement that we've all had tough times in practice. And, you know, we've all been through the mill and to try and sort of keep that as a just a, a general awareness overriding the interactions within the group and just that sort of mindfulness that the person posting might not be in a good place. And I think, yeah, that obviously, you know, very clearly and, uh, you know, it is something that's so important. And, you know, it's very easy, isn't it, to jump on that bandwagon of sort of saying, oh, you know, you write something and then you write hashtag be kind afterwards. But it's actually, you know, the the, the actual tone of what you're writing and stuff like, you know, there is, it's easy to become a keyboard warrior, isn't it? But I, I think, you know, it, it there are always people on the other end of these. And, you know, as, as many people rightly point out, we literally do not know what's going on on that side of things. I mean, you know, I've been I've been home from, from work on, on multiple days where, you know, my, my wife's in tears sobbing, but is, is, is actually really happy. And now as a bloke, we don't have the hormonal highs and lows that, that I would associate with, with certainly with the phase that she's at at the minute with breastfeeding. So, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly worried as to what I've done wrong, uh, for sure. And normally there is a reason that I've done something wrong. But uh, but yeah, obviously, mental health is such a, a massive topic at this moment in time. And your, you know, your involvement with, with WellVet as a co-founder there. I mean, you know, I had a privilege of coming along to the first weekend. And it was just for me, especially, I just found it really great to stop and press pause for a weekend. But, you know, why why is WellVet so important to you? And, and you know, what are your, your hopes and aspirations for that to achieve? Yeah, I just um, just kind of became increasingly frustrated and upset by the constant you know mental battles of you know friends and colleagues within the profession and just wanted to do something about it and for me um you know it's very much it's not just about mental health it's also about physical health and you know relationship health it's it's that sort of mind body soul that all obviously all feed back into mental health um, and just general overall well-being so the idea around WellVet was to sort of create these sentinel events where people can come along and experience all sorts of different sport from you know very intense cycling and boot camps and crossfit through to you know incredibly gentle meditation um, yoga uh, alongside personal development workshops I think there's a bit of a misconception that well-being is for people that need it um well-being is for everybody we're all on a scale of mental health we're all on a scale of physical health and and the well-being is the kind of overall feeling that that you know we get out of those things and if your well-being is great then something comes along such as a mental or physical um ailment and your well-being all of a sudden isn't so great if you don't have the tools and the systems in place to be able to build up your own well-being um, again after those knocks um, then you're in a, a much worse place for longer I sort of describe it as you know that there's no point learning you know going out and buying a fire extinguisher and learning how to use it once your house is burning you know the time to to go out and get a fire extinguisher and learn how to use it is when everything's good then when your house sets on fire you can put the fire out really quickly yeah um so you know i i really am passionate about encouraging everybody even if they think i'm all right jack to 
actually think, well, you know, what can I put in place to make sure that if one day I wake up and things aren't great because I'm, you know, actually I'm, I'm become a bit depressed or down about things or, you know, I'm injured or I'm ill, then they've actually got those those things in place to help them deal with that and recover quicker. Definitely. Well, I think, Liz, you know, I've, I've monopolised the whole half hour of your time almost now. So I'm going to wind up probably just a last question. If you've got someone who's, you know, a vet mum or wanting to be a vet mum or wanting to be you know a vet dad or is already a vet dad or maybe struggling with stuff what what can they do to either you know help or what can they do to get involved with these things or what can they do to be part of any of these uh, vast plethora of, of um, organizations that you're involved with yeah so with the, the vet mums actually on veterinary women the website free access website there's a whole heap of resources on there um, and there are some bits that are you know equally applicable to mums and dads so plenty on there obviously the vet mums facebook group not just for mums we do welcome men in the profession as well because uh, i think it does help to sort of raise that general understanding and awareness obviously we're you know we are pretty hot on on moderating to make sure that the content is very empathetic but um, but very welcome to you know come and listen and, and contribute where appropriate maybe not on the breastfeeding ones though <laughs> the other thing with WellVet is we're hoping this year to bring a lot of more resources onto the WellVet website at the moment it, it's just the sort of events page but uh, we've recently partnered with Nat Scroggy of This Vet Runs well so myself and Rue Tipney the three of us are going to hopefully develop WellVet more as a website destination for mental and physical well-being resources so uh, and all of these things have associated social media feeds yeah so just get in touch probably through veterinary women is the easiest way and yeah look forward to carrying on with lots of other people to to help and input because um these things i've started but it, it very much relies on on other people to guide and help and support and contribute awesome well liz it's boss to chat to you thanks for joining us thanks for a lot of insight and hopefully you know, we start seeing the profession moving forward at an even greater rate of knots soon. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Ben. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Vet Chat. If you've enjoyed listening to my dulcet scouse tones as I interview people much more intelligent than myself, then please do click follow and join us for future episodes.